When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, it's the last day for Theresa May as the leader of the Conservative Party. I want to speak to John Tong, Professor John Tong, who's obviously a, an expert in politics. Good morning, John. Good morning. I noticed I asked at the beginning of the programme uh, how she would be remembered. And here's a, a little quote that's come in from a guy called Lee, uh, who says, uh, Frank, she'd be remembered as the woman who never stood a chance. I, I understand where Lee's coming from on that one. She, she took on a heck of a job and she was, you know, pretty stoic in relation to fighting her way. But um, we, could see, we could see she was never going to win before she, she was able to see it. Absolutely. I mean, she had the most difficult entry, it should be said, of any non-wartime prime minister trying to resolve Brexit when her party was so divided, the country was so divided, where she was sprung into the job unexpectedly. Remember that David Cameron had said he would stay on regardless of the referendum result, which always looked an improbable proposition, but nonetheless, you know, we had to take that at face value. So she very quickly had to take on, on the job. And initially, of course, she made quite hard line noises to appease her party. She said that we would definitely be leaving the EU single market, definitely leaving the EU customs union. But after that, she had to sort of tap back from that. And really, the issue of the EU was never going to be put to bed during her uh, premiership. And, you know, two years later, two and a half years on, we're still not that much closer to resolving the issue. She had a genuine belief that she had negotiated a fine withdrawal agreement um, with the European Union. The irony is that the the one part of her kingdom that um, was perhaps most supportive of what she negotiated was Northern Ireland, where it appeared to have majority support. But elsewhere, many people were, were unhappy. She couldn't unite her own party, couldn't unite the country, couldn't command the commons. And so there isn't that much of a legacy to be had. She must feel a bit limp today, considering she still has duties and they're just sort of stumbling, stumbling along. Uh, just t- talk us through what her responsibility is in the very short term. Well, her responsibility is to carry on as Prime Minister. She steps down as party leader uh, today, but she, her responsibility is to carry on as Prime Minister until the Conservative Party uh, elects a new leader who can take over as Prime Minister. And so that sense of duty that she clearly has um, um, will continue. Um, We we saw only uh, earlier this week, you know, she was dealing with Donald Trump, not the easiest uh, US presidential visit perhaps uh, to deal with, but she was there, she was representing the country in terms of the D-Day commemorations. And she will still have a role in that sense to carry on. I think the other things that are notable about Theresa May is that most... Most times, on most occasions when a prime minister steps aside, they don't carry on 
serving their constituency. David Cameron said he would stay on as, as, as a local MP, but that lasted one month. He then decided it wasn't for him the life of a backbench MP. Theresa May might be different. She may decide to stay on as MP for Maidenhead, and so she would be a significant voice uh, from the backbenches. Who knows? She may hold ministerial office again, uh, uh, her successor as Conservative leader. Uh, if Theresa May does decide that she wants to stay in, in the political game, you know, may appoint her as a minister in future. That will be unusual. I mean, the last prime minister who stayed on as an MP for a, a long period of time was Ted Heath, um, who was basically spent the next couple of decades carping at Margaret Thatcher. Um, so it's not ideal, but I don't see Theresa May in that category. I think she would be supportive uh, to her successor because of that sense of duty and service to her party and her country. So we may actually we be writing the political obituary of Theresa May slightly early because it, it's possible she may still serve her country in a ministerial capacity, just not a prime ministerial one. It's just something... <laughs> How do I best put this? Something like a fall from grace that isn't necessarily her fault if she continues on the back benches. You would you would think that if she had any personal interest in her own image that she would go off on a lecture tour or become a writer or, or retire gracefully. But maybe she's just such a glutton for punishment that she'll continue to be an MP. Well, normally, yeah, the serious money to be made post-Prime Minister, is to give special lectures, um, go on speaking tours, and write a book. All the sort of things that David Cameron has done, particularly the book in, in David Cameron's case, uh, given the reported advance that he's received uh, for that book, which should be interesting, and let's hope it's, it's revelatory. For Theresa May, though, I mean, is there the legacy that she could cash in like that? She's not a great public speaker, let's be honest. Uh, campaigning in the, in the 2017 election was probably the most wooden performance by any prime minister that, that I've ever seen. So I'm not sure that she could actually rake in um, lots of money uh, by doing the roles that a, a former prime minister has done. Uh, that said, I don't think it's, it's ever been about the money for Theresa May. I mean, it's always been about that sense of duty and service. I mean, in, in terms of a broader legacy, what can she look back on? I mean, she would have to look back, really, prior to her prime ministerial days. She was Home Secretary for six years, uh, which is a long time uh, to serve as a Home Secretary. The average length of a minister in a single post is only two and a half years. She was more than double that as Home Secretary. Quite a controversial one because she was always tough on immigration, always had a hardline attitude to immigration. And during her premiership, she's been involved in controversies over UK immigration policy, most notably that of the Windrush uh, generation, when it appeared that post-war Commonwealth uh, immigrants um, were suddenly no longer eligible to stay in the UK. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not sure that's a, a legacy of which you'd want to be proud. I think the other thing to remember about Theresa May is she spent a lot of, uh, you know, of years doing the hard yards as a shadow minister, for which there is no glory at all. Theresa May was first elected to the Westminster Parliament in 1997, you know, the Blair landslide year. And, you know, with Tony Blair dominating the political scene for so long, Theresa May had to languish, really, as shadow, shadow secretary of state in a whole variety of roles, education, transport, um, jobs like that. It's very hard to make your mark as a, as a shadow minister. I mean, how many shadow ministers can we actually name at the moment? Probably name the shadow chancellor, John McDonnell. How many other shadow ministers could actually be, be, be mentioned? So she spent 13 years waiting for the chance of office, then was home secretary, and then, of course, elevated to, to prime minister without a contest. And I think that's the other thing as well, that Theresa May can't actually say that there was you know, a, a significant contest to elevate her 
to the leadership of her party because Andrea Leadsom um, dropped out after a controversial interview uh, with the Times newspaper and Theresa May, it was more of a coronation uh, than a contest. So, uh, Theresa May, look, looking back, um, is there a lot there? Probably not, um, compared to some of her Conservative predecessors. One thing about Theresa May, though, we can say, just, just like the other woman Prime Minister we've had in this country, never actually defeated by the electorate. Margaret Thatcher never lost an election. She was ousted by her own party. And Theresa May didn't lose, at least, the one election uh, that she did fight. It's interesting that you mention Margaret Thatcher, the only other female Prime Minister, and I'm thinking in the context of, of Northern Ireland, and I'm sure in some other parts of the United Kingdom as well, but specifically in Northern Ireland, I get a sense that if, if a retired Margaret Thatcher had gone on a day's shopping in Belfast City Centre just with her husband or a friend, the chances are she would at some point have been spat at in the street. I, I get a feeling that if Theresa May went on a day shopping in Belfast, regardless of people's politics, they'd probably say, hello, Mrs May, how are you? Or, you know, they might even shake her hand or say, oh, well, tough luck, you, you give it your best shake. They, 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 might have a, they, they might have a debate with her. They might tell her that they detest the Conservatives, but they're unlikely to treat her the way that local people here would have treated Margaret Thatcher. Absolutely. I mean, Theresa May was nowhere near as politically divisive as Margaret Thatcher. If you think back to Margaret Thatcher's premiership, presiding over the hunger strike period, uh, the IRA coming close to killing her uh, only three years after uh, the election of Bobby Sands uh, and then then subsequent death um, when the Conservative Party conference at Brighton uh, was blown up. I mean, Margaret Thatcher, perhaps the most divisive, uh, loved by some, loved by others, divisive um, uh, premier, probably in, in, in the post-war era. Of course, the irony, of course, was that Eunice turned against Margaret Thatcher one year after the Brighton bombing when she signed the Anglo-Irish Agreement, which Eunice regarded as, as a betrayal. So in the end, neither side, in what was such a very, very, very divided Northern Ireland at the time, neither side came to uh, like Margaret Thatcher, uh, but for very uh, different reasons. Yeah, for Theresa May, she'd put, get a, a reasonable reception. I mean, Theresa May doesn't instill animosity uh, amongst many people, um, there's a recognition that she had, you know, a horrible inheritance in terms of trying to deal with the fallout of that Brexit referendum result. And I think there's a recognition that she did her best. She tried to negotiate a withdrawal agreement which, which dealt with the, the vexed issue of the border. And I've always said it to, to, to Theresa May's credit that she was one of the very few people during that referendum campaign in 2016, who highlighted the, the, the issue of the border on the island of Ireland and how it was potentially very problematic if one side of the border was outside the EU and the other was inside the EU. Very few, it's difficult to find other Conservative senior figures talking about this during the campaign at all. Theresa May did. She gave, an interview, she gave a couple of interviews dealing with that. So, yeah, I mean, Theresa May... There's respect for her, I think, in terms of what she tried to deal with. But I think in terms of actual achievements, what she can put in the box and say, this is a crowning glory of my premiership. This is what I achieved. There's very little. Uh, You know, you've got a parliament now that is passing precious little legislation at Westminster because
because it's been so consumed by Brexit. And Theresa May had that problem. She was never able to fulfill the, the warm words that she spoke. And this is where, again, a comparison with Margaret Thatcher is possible, because Margaret Thatcher started talking about St. Francis of Assisi when she was on the steps of Downing Street. Theresa May, when she became Prime Minister, talked about uh, how she was going to tackle burning injustices and equality in, in society. She never really had the chance to do that because her government was you know, wrestling every night with votes in the House of Commons, trying to manage her party, dealing with votes of no confidence against her. Um, all those sort of things meant that she could never have any sort of strategic grip and direction upon her party, let alone her country. And who takes over from her? Is it Boris? Boris's favourite. It is Boris's to lose. And what's significant, I think, is that the early signs are that Boris is doing better amongst Conservative MPs, which was always thought to be the bigger hurdle um, than one might have expected, because all the talk was Boris Johnson is very unpopular against, uh, among Conservative MPs. They don't trust him. They don't like him. He doesn't really press the flesh in the way that he connects with the public, perhaps, or a section of the public, but doesn't really connect with his own MPs. But the signs are that he has, has got the largest number of nominations, that he would survive the rounds of voting amongst MPs. Um, and there could be several rounds of, M of voting, even with the, the changes to the rules, in which case it goes to the membership. And, you know, the Conservative Party membership, about 150,000 are pro-Brexit some survey evidence suggests they are even pro a, a no-deal Brexit. And Boris Johnson has said we are leaving the EU on the 31st of October, deal or no deal. Now, with Boris Johnson, there's always the possibility of some major gaffe between now and when this goes out to, to a vote of the members uh, at some point in July. Um, so there's an awful lot to, to play for. But he is a favourite. There's a reason why he's a favourite, because he appears to be you know, sufficiently popular amongst MPs and popular amongst the members. And he's seen as a person who could deliver an election victory. He did deliver two election victories as mayor of London, when London is normally a Labour voting city. So he's got... The, the view is that he's an electoral asset, but he is high risk. Um, and if it wasn't to be Boris Johnson, it's difficult to see who it is going to be. I mean, Rory Stewart is running a, an interesting campaign as a, as a, a very much a pro we need a deal with the EU campaign. So Rory Stewart's winning top marks for, for honesty. It's just the problem of, of he would have to reshape the attitudes of the members if he can survive until the head-to-head, the, -head, the playoff between the last two when the vote goes to Conservative Party members. Beyond that, Sajid Javid, Michael Gove, you can't rule them out. Um, and, you know, uh, probably the best long shot would be Andrea Leadsom, who is a uh, Brexiteer but has a streak of pragmatism as well uh, within her. When exactly will we know, John, who it is? Yeah, it's supposed to be. I mean, it, given the change of the rules, it, it could be quicker than, than we think now. There's going to be some pretty sharp contests in which a number of candidates could be, elect, could be ousted from the contest uh, in, in, at a single vote. Um, we could also have further dropouts, given the, 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 the new requirement. You need more than two MPs now uh, to nominate you, and you need you know, a rise ever bigger percentage of the vote to stay in the contest. So we're probably looking at um, uh, only about a week of voting in the, in the middle of June, and then uh, it goes out to the members to vote, and they'll vote at some point uh, in early to mid-July. Uh, there'll have to be hustings to the members. There's going to be TV uh, and radio uh, debates um, amongst the contestants, the, the remaining contestants. Uh, so we're looking at probably, I would say, the, I think about the third week of July, we would have a new um, 
Conservative leader and, um, and, and Prime Minister in place. Of course, you know, plenty of people will huff and puff saying it's ridiculous that only 150,000 people ultimately, plus 313 Conservative MPs, decide who our next Prime Minister is. Looking at last night's Peterborough by-election result for the Conservatives, I'm not sure the new leader would gamble on calling an early election to um, have a, a mandate. It's just possible that a new leader may enjoy a sufficient bounce in the polls for the Conservative Party that they would risk an election. But given Theresa May's, experience, Theresa May's experience of calling a snap election, which ended up with her relying upon DUP support, and given the Conservative vote share dropped by 25%, uh, in Peterborough at the by-election, which Conservative leader is going to be brave enough, um, even with the joys of newly held office, to actually go to the country and say, yeah, OK, we'll, we'll, we'll call an election. I'm going to boost my mandate beyond those 313 MPs and 150,000 members. And just very, very briefly, John, with Peterborough in mind and Brexit, the Brexit party not managing to win it, Labour got through by about 650 votes. Is that good for Labour or is there a suggestion that the Brexit party still is an irritant for the two main parties? Brexit is dangerous for, for both parties. It takes votes away from both of the main parties. But the lesson from the European election was that Brexit harms the Conservative Party more. Remember, the Conservative Party was reduced their worst vote since the advent of the Universal Franchise in 1832. Conservatives had their worst result ever in, uh, in the European elections. And last night, Labour's vote share fell, for sure. Labour's vote share was down 17%, but the Conservative vote share fell by even more, 25%. Why? Because the Conservatives and Brexit are fishing in, and the Brexit Party are fishing in the same Brexit waters. Most Conservative voters support Brexit, and they're up against a party which is explicitly pro-Brexit in terms of, of, of the Brexit Party. So Brexit harms both, for sure. There's a, there is a significant Labour leave vote, but it harms the Conservatives more. That's why the Conservative leader, the next leader of the party, has to deal with Brexit one way or the other quickly and efficiently. Otherwise, the Brexit Party isn't going to go away. The Brexit Party is not going to win many Westminster seats. Nigel Farage tried over and over again to win a Westminster seat. He didn't even dare risk standing uh, in, in Peterborough. Um, you know, Brexit, Brexit, the Brexit Party is not going to win many Westminster seats, if any. But it will take significant chunks of the vote share of both our main parties, but does more damage to the Conservative Party. Okay, got to leave it there. Uh, Professor John Tong, uh, thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Confidence starts with loving who you are. 
And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.